You know, money loves speed and hates friction. It's going to be so much friction for you to try and improve something you're shit at that you don't like. Rob, we've, uh, well, I was trying to work out when we first met, about 14, maybe 15 years ago. During that time, we built a huge property business, large training company, and quite a visible brand online. What do you think is the significance of having a brand these days, especially a personal brand in business? Yeah, well, there's three types of brand. There's the personal brand, the product brand, and the company brand. If you think of Apple, iPhone, and Steve Jobs, ticks all three. If you think about who was famous going back decades, the only people that used to be famous were movie stars, sports stars. And now, thanks to social media and the speed of information exchange, which is speed of light through fiber optics, anyone can become famous. And I don't like the word fame. Mm -hmm because it's either unwanted or done for the wrong reasons. I actually don't really like social media. I'm happy to talk about that. You know, I'm all over social media. You know, I bang on about social media. It's not my natural flow. I do it because it's good for business. A tool. Exactly. A lever, like money. Mm -hmm. It's a good, good tool. So um, because of social media and the internet and the, the increased speed of information exchange, you don't need to be a movie star or a sports legend to get that reach, to reach millions of people. I mean, obviously on TikTok, you could sing and dance, still can. Um, so context is everything, Saj. So if you don't want any attention, you probably don't want a personal brand. Mm -hmm. You can hide behind the company brand, many billionaires, are not people we know every day. Not visible. Yeah, they, they don't want to do that. Their companies and their products are the face of what they do. But if you want lower lead cost, if you want free lead cost, and you want to be able to turn your passion into your profession, building a personal brand is the best way. So many people that are either watching or listening to this right now, they're in the property space. And when we talk about a personal brand in property, what do you think is the benefit when it comes to raising money, trying to partner with people, if there's visibility? And what control do we have over the, the brand? I, do we create the brand and that's what we're known for? Or do other people decide what the brand means? I think both. Because if you were to get advised by a PR firm, what's your origin story? Mm. And, you know, they would use these, they would have a plan for you to control your message. If you think of damage control in PR, it is changing the story. Mm -hmm. So I know Andrew Tate quite well, and obviously he's been a very controversial character. And he said he talked a lot more post-imprisonment and attack on him. Right or wrong, I'm not here to judge mm -hmm. about that. But he said he talked a lot more about publicising his philanthropy. Now, if you think about it, you don't really want to wave your philanthropy around. You want to do it because it's right. But... If people are going to put a message out about you, you might as well put a message out about you. And if people are going to speak ill or untruths about you, because that's what happens when you're successful, you can't deny it. Again, I can talk about that if you want. Then maybe you want to control your own narrative. So I think that you can create your own origin story and you create, can create your own personality brand. But at the same time, 
the market decides whether it likes it or not. I mean, if you think about, you know, Coca-Cola is Coke. So people shorten it and they name it what they want to name it. So I think that it back to the, the property space. Um, I think leveraging a personal brand is great for raising finance. Because you can, you can essentially show your CV online. Mm. And in a more interesting way. Because your CV isn't really anymore what's written on two sheets of paper. Yes. It's your social media history. Mm. It's your lives and your, and your videos. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say your, your brand and reputation are, can be equally the story you create and the story that the market then takes on and people then take on. So I'm thinking right now there's probably many cases of uh, people that I've done a little bit in property, done a couple of deals, and then they start teaching, training, sharing knowledge with the people, which is fine. But social media can be used as a tool to dress that up to way more than it is because they control the messaging, what's seen, how it's seen. What impact do you think that's You mean they can bullshit? Basically, yeah. 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 How do you think... Uh, but people bullshit in person as well, don't they? I mean, yeah. the concept of bullshit is as old as the concept of homo social, sapiens, isn't it? But on socially, you'll, you'll see a lot more flash cars, stuff to bleed, yeah, that they lifestyle. Can yeah, and to, to make it look like something that isn't. they can adapt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, true. It's probably easier on social media to... So is it then less believable? Is it a case of, well, there's a, then a bullshit filter to say, actually, maybe I... That would be a great filter, yeah. wouldn't it? You know, you can have filters <laughs> on social. Imagine you had your bullshit filter and it immediately just got rid of all the nonsense. So, so, what's, the, yeah, so what's the point you're driving at here? So I'm thinking um, brand is, uh, can be very powerful. We create the brand. We create what we uh, people want to see. But actually, is it really perceived in that way? Are people cautious? You can bullshit someone for five minutes, you can't bullshit someone for 20 years. Mm. And progressive property has been going nearly 17 years. It's not perfect, I'm not perfect, but you can't bullshit 17 years of, of being in the game. Now I look at this with a balanced view. On the one hand, I would never say to anyone, I would, I'd never want to squash anyone's dream. And if people need to hustle a bit, and you know they're in survival mode then you know that phrase fake it till you make it sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do mm. and as long as you're not going around screwing people over and losing hundreds of thousands of pounds and creating ponzi schemes sometimes you have got to show the best vers version of yourself now i've n i have never said i own this car if i don't mm. i've never said i own this property if i don't um, but for example, I could say I've done 20 deals. That's true. But how did I do those deals? Maybe I flipped 10 of them. Mm -hmm. Maybe I sold 10 of them to you. So you can be smart with your language yes. in a way to make your, because if you look, if you read a CV, by the way, I've read some great CVs where yeah, the yeah. Pe person was shit and what they were good at was writing the fucking CV. <laughs> I've seen loads of those. So of course you're going to embellish the story but don't embellish to the point where it's bullshit. Mm. So, you know, we, we, on the way up, you've probably got to do a bit of hustle. 
And it's just being smart about language and packaging yourself in the right way. But if you do bullshit, in the end, society will give you the feedback and you will get found out. Um, so I don't think you need to. Mm-hmm. I, I think people are, I think bullshitting comes from a place of scarcity, i.e. there's not enough money to go around. I'm not good enough. There is enough money to go around. And we've all got our own unique skills and talents. Mm. You know, if you ask me about buy to let and high street lenders and stuff, I don't know shit at all. But I have hundreds of properties and 1,350 tenants that we manage. Because I've not been de- dealing with that level of beginnerness and detail for 15 years. Mm. So some people know more about buying their first five properties than I do, because I bought my first five properties nearly 20 years ago. Is all publicity good publicity then? When I, when I was growing up as a kid, they I used don't to, used think to that being phrase. a paedophile is good publicity. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just a, no, no, all publicity is not good publicity. I don't, I don't agree with that. I would not want to be associated on HD. You know, I, <laughs> like that is. There are certain things that you know. No, that's. <laughs> So no. uh, there's, a, there's a line to be drawn uh, when clout chasing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does clout chasing mean? Um, Leveraging the brand of other people. I think so. I think mm. that's my understanding of it. Well, is that what Samuel Leeds did to me when he called me out for a fight? Because I obviously well, have the bigger brand. I, I, actually, that, I, <laughs> I see you've not, got. I, I've got I it. Thought that was notes. salt beef, but it's no, Samuel no, Leeds beef. It, it, it's exactly <laughs> Samuel Leeds beef. So salt let's just finish the pre- previous point because okay. I, I hate unfinished points. Um, no, not all publicity is good publicity, but you can make the best of the publicity that you get. I.e., um, some people worry about mistakes that they make. But um, if you look on TikTok, you'll see that often if there's a spelling mistake in your video, it gets more engagement because people yeah, are correcting yeah. your spelling. So it's not always bad to make mistakes. So don't worry about making mistakes and know that you will get better. And don't worry if you're not exactly in the niche you want to be in the, in the future, because whilst it can take, they say it takes 10 years to build a reputation and five minutes to destroy it, but it, it can also be recovered. There's many times where people have uh, damaged a brand or reputation and then have been able to recover from it. Unless it's fiddling kids. <laughs> you ain't recovering yeah. from that. Yeah. I'd just like to answer your question honestly. You know, no one's saying, oh, Jimmy Savile, that was good publicity. Yeah. No, no one is saying that. So uh, since since you've seen my uh, next, Do you uh, edit by point, the way, because you might need to edit half this out. Mostly we don't. No. <laughs> so Samuel Leeds beef was that is that genuine beef then, or was that just an amazing PR stunt? Um, well, thank you for the compliment. I think it was a good PR stunt. You know, like P- PR stunts are free marketing, mm. uh, and even people in my industry who are competitors of mine have done videos telling everyone how great the marketing was. Yes, So I saw one this morning. Yeah, I've done some decent marketing campaigns in, in my time and some shit ones as well, of course. But yeah, this is one of the better ones. Is the beef real? Um, well, he is a competitor. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, he is an upstart, but he's also doing well. He has got a um, polarising reputation, as you know, and I don't mind talking about that. Um, did I want to knock him out? Absolutely, I did. Yeah. Uh, and I went all out and tried my best. Everyone thought I'd just run away from him for three rounds. I did not run away from him at all. Um, and so, yeah, the beef was real. It wasn't like we're at secretly best friends 
and you know we're pretending like a, a lot of the shit that he said i think he believes mm. and um yeah, he, he was. He played a good villain. He was a good panto. Well, I mean, look, if you're a Samuel Leeds fan, he's not the villain, is he? Yeah. But he played. He played his part well. Um, the beef was real. Um, it was a PR stunt. And yeah. So who does have the largest property training company then? <laughs> Wasn't that what the beef was about? <laughs> Who has the biggest willy? Um, well, it wasn't what I was going to say, but... No, but that's what others would say. Um, well, if you want an, an accurate and honest answer, it'd be difficult to tell, actually, yeah. because how do you measure it? Yeah, I mean, that was going to be the thing. Yeah. The question I was going to ask... How he reckons he has 3,000 people a month through his training. We easily have that. Um, the, the Facebook groups are sort of equal size. We've written a few more books and probably sold a lot more, but we've been doing it longer. Um, he's, you know, he, he's come up on the rise quite quick. You can't, you know, I don't deny what's real. Mm -hmm. I, I would what's bullshit. And um, what's real is he's, he's come up quite quick. He's invested a lot of money in learning from other people. Um, the thing is, people say, oh, you go on company's house or you go on, you, you know, and find what people own. You don't know what he owns. I have no idea what he owns. Um, you know, if you look at someone like Mark Homer, my business partner, and you look at, like, at someone like Samuel Leeds, you can make your own decision who's more likely to be the bigger bullshitter out of the two of them. Um, I know what we've got, um, and I know how long we've been doing it, and I know the size of our database. And does, I mean, really, shouldn't the question be who's better? Well, let me phrase it slightly differently then. So, uh, you're, you're, a, you're a, a big fan of disruption. Yeah. He's clearly disrupted the property training industry. Well, so did we. I mean, you met me at Berkshire Property Meet, you remember? Before and that, yeah. Ev everyone was, you know, grey suit from Marks and Spencer's, white shirt, um, just talking about buy to let. And it, Mark and I, spiky hair, stripy shirts, talking about deal packaging. Point, pointy and shoes. Create, yeah, pointy shoes <laughs> and creative finance. And we brought a very different energy to the space. And I think it was a good play back then. He's, he is disruptive in all senses of the word, Samuel yeah. is. He's noisy. <laughs> he's larger than life. So he's, he's like, he's disruptive in the, maybe the negative sense as well as the positive sense. You know, if I'm, if I'm tipping my hat to Samuel Leeds, um, he was the first person in our industry to really leverage YouTube. And, um, you know, I know most of the competitors. I've been in this industry 17 years. I know what most of them do well and not well. And he, he is one of the people that, re, that is responsible for me upping my YouTube game. Um, because, I mean, he, he, did, he did that um, financial freedom challenge. Whether true or not true, it made for good viewing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would acknowledge that mm. as disruption. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I was at the Birmingham Masopi that uh, weekend. When actually. he came in disguise. He yeah. And I was chatting to him. I didn't realise it was him at the time. Man. I was trying to sell a deal for him. I said, yeah, what have you got? I've got somebody in that area. I can try and make a call for you. Yeah. And then he turned up my networking event later in the evening as well. Yeah. Yeah, we kicked him out of that event. Well, Kevin McDonough, one of our trainers, um, partners, kicked him out. MSOPI, just people who don't mm -hmm. know, multiple streams of property income at our, one of our property events. Yeah, so... Um, so you're a secret of an admirer then, you're saying? 
<laughs> let's move on. Let's move a on. Lemonade drink. <laughs> no, let's look at this properly. I don't mind talking about. You know me. I don't mind talking about anything. Um, generally, what we do with other humans is judge them on our own values and morals. Mm. And what we generally do is if there's similar values, morals and ethics, we like them. And if there's not, we don't. But we all have different values, morals Mm. and ethics. I try and transcend that. And I try and look at someone and go, I mean, you know, I know who I resonate with. um, And maybe I don't resonate with. But can you learn from anyone? And can you look at people who are competitors and people you don't necessarily like and still admire traits in them? Yes, I can. He said we're frenemies. That's they were his words. And. (laughs) Maybe that's what we are. Yeah, yeah. I'd never heard that phrase till he said it. Yeah. So in this space, there's lots and lots of property trainers. At one time, there was a few. I mean, when one time there was a lot more. Well, when I started in property, there was probably a handful of property networking events around Mm. the country, Mm. and now there's lots and lots. So how do people find who's right for them, and who is right? Is is it one company organization right for everyone? In mm. terms of learning, because I've learned from lots and lots of different people over the years, yeah. and I, I think I've benefited from most of it. Mm. Some of it's been not so great, but yeah. most of it's been that's life beneficial. Yeah, you go to a restaurant. Sometimes the food yeah. is good. Sometimes the food isn't good. That's normal. Um, the thing is, you can always learn something, mm. even if it's don't use them again. Yes. <laughs> every, every, you know, everything is a lesson. And um, personally, I like to learn from a breadth yeah. of sources. But there, there does come a point where you can be like too many gurus. Okay. Especially if they say opposite things mm. and they do, the, you know, don't buy your own home, buy your own home. That's the classic one, yes. isn't it, in, in our space. And if you end up listening to everyone, you'll end up being overwhelmed. So I would say, look at the people who've got the results you want and look at the people who've been doing it a long time and look at the people whose energy and vibe and values and ethics and morals you, you know, that you can vibe with. And that will narrow it down from 50 to five mm. immediately. Um, you know, because, for example, my friend Simon is your friend as well, Simon Zucci. You know, if you've got a bit of money and you've sort of retired from the corporate world, there's quite a fit there. But w- with Samuel, he attracts a lot of non- non-English people coming over into this country. And... Um, and then, you know, we'd attract a lot of people who were sort of starting out trying to get on the ladder and we get them good at raising finance. So we've probably all, all got slightly different ways of doing it. Um, so I, I like breadth. But the thing is, if you're not clear on who you are, then you're going to get very confused with everybody else's opinions. And so you still got to know what do you want to achieve. Mm. So for me, I knew I wanted to do property Big time, not part time, not even full time. I wanted to do it big time. I knew I wanted to create multiple streams of income through property. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur and a business owner for a very long time. So I knew, therefore, that I wanted to go into the bigger, the bigger deals and things like that. If you want a lifestyle, you know, where you want four holidays a year and you want to travel a lot, maybe you want to do deal packaging a bit more than some of the strategies. I mean, we talk about this at our multiple streams of property income event. So, but. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I went on this course and it wasn't very good. Maybe that's the case, give them the feedback, maybe try and get a credit to do another course. But if you can't learn anything from everything, there's something wrong with yeah. you, I think. 
in an event, you can go to an event, there's a hundred people there learning something, some new amazing strategy that's being taught. A year later, get those same hundred people back together. But often only very few of them have achieved. Why is that a surprise? Achieve the results. Are you surprised by that? It's it's not surprising. It's common. Yeah. So maybe that's why I'm not surprised. But isn't that? Um, in, in, do you like martial arts? Do you do any martial arts? Um, in an observation capacity. Okay, fine. So imagine you own a um, imagine you own a dojo, karate. Yeah. Um, how many white belts get to black belt? Mm, probably very few. Yeah. Yeah. One percent. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. If someone's in martial arts, put it in the comments. And if you get really good, maybe you could double that. Let's say 5% of white belts get to black belt. Yeah. And let's say you're really good. What are you going to get that up to? 7%, 8%, 10%? Mm. You're never going to get it even anywhere near 50%. Because there's too many variables. Yes. There's too many other things to be interested in. So um, here's, here's what I know. You can have good systems and processes. You can teach stuff that works. You can do it yourself. You can lead the horse to water. You can put a bucket right under its nose, but you cannot make it drink. Only, only you can implement what you learn. Yes. You can, we as property trainers, educators, masterminders, teachers, consultants, whatever you want to call us, influencers, we can learn from, you know, being in the industry a long time and better systems and processes and knowing the objections and knowing support and challenge and, you know, we've run masterminds for many years, of which you're a member, and you know, know, knowing when to call someone out that maybe they're playing the violin on themselves a bit, or knowing when to give them sort of sympathy and support, and there's a fine line there. Um, so you can be good, better, best, but you're never going to get all white belts to be black belts. It's just impossible. Hmm. When I first started, I was just desperate to get started and what I was looking for was who's doing amazing things I'd look at a result and I think that that's what I want and I think I spent a lot of time chasing somebody else's results what they were achieving as opposed to maybe that may not be the right strategy for me and uh, it took quite a while probably a couple of years actually before I got my first little bit of real money in property and that makes me think is it right to be learning lots of things at the same time i.e. in property there's so many different ways to make money well actually should we be narrowing down into what might be the right fit for us do we match that strategy and then that increase our chance of success by just focusing on that one i created this time division model it's relatively simple i think the best things that work in mm. life are simple um and i call it 70 20 10. i've actually written about it again in the book that I'm writing called Money Matrix. And I suggest, recommend, that 70% of your time is on your main strategy, 20% of your time is on a secondary strategy, and 10% of your time is research, future strategies, you know, getting a bit distracted, looking into AI, and all that kind of stuff. Yes. If you're 100% in one thing, what happens if the market changes? Mm. What happens if you don't enjoy it really? Then you put your eggs in one basket and, and people say, oh, well, you know, successful people, they make money one way. No, they don't. If you look at all successful people, they have multiple streams of income, all of them. Mm -hmm. um, 
but they don't start with seven. Yes. So the problem is people look at someone's end result, but they forget the 30 years. Because I see this sometimes. I've seen people rip us off, trainers of ours rip us off, but they're copying us 17 years too early. Mm. They didn't go through the journey. So, you know, you look at Elon Musk and think about how many companies he now has, and it grows and grows and grows. He just launched an AI company. Of course, he just bought Twitter. You got SpaceX, you got Tesla. Um, there's at least two others. Put them in the comments. Um, but they didn't all happen at the same exactly. time. Exactly. But, but he doesn't just run one business. He runs multiple businesses, but he didn't start all those businesses at the same time. Now, if you want a little hack, this is something I call cross-stream leverage, which is if you, if you, if you I, I see this all the time. Well, you know, their current vocation is they're a doctor. They're doing buy to let and they're doing a wellness podcast. And the, the problem with that is they're all unrelated. Yeah. So there's no leverage. Whereas if you get a job in an estate agent selling property, and then you buy a property for yourself, and then you run a property training business, and then you start a property management company, that's in the same niche. So you are, each time you go into the new, this is, I think, why. Progressive is quite unique. I know it's got its downsides, everything has. I'll never say we're perfect. But there's a a lot of people who train in property haven't really got that much property. And a lot of people who've got a load of property don't train in it. Mm. I, I see it. We're one of the few that do both because we've got myself and we've got Mark. So we've got those different skills. But we, we learned that instead of trying all the new shit, do something that's similar to what you've been doing for the last three years. So we, we worked for a property sourcer Let's say we'd source 35 to 50 deals for other people. Well, then there's not much difference between sourcing for others and sourcing for yourself. There might be 25% difference. So you've already created 75% of the leverage. Then we source for ourselves. And then when you've sourced for yourselves and others and you've done 100 deals, well, you've got enough information to write a book on it and then launch a course on it. So that's my answer. I think as entrepreneurs, it's a natural trait to be just constantly distracted by other things. It's, it's a... Or is it a subsection of people that constantly need something else going on? Yeah, I, I think you've got to know yourself well, because I like to have a few things going on, but there's still a maximum for me at which productivity and results go down. Mark's not like that at all. Mark likes to have one main thing he's working on and he literally shuns everything else. He just literally pushes it away. He's physically pushed people out of his office like that when they bring in something that he's not working on at the time. So I think you've got to know the best way that you work. You know, at the moment, for example, I'm writing my book, Money Matrix, but it's, all, I'm, it's also creating spin-offs to write my next three books. And I can manage that. But, but I couldn't, um, I, 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 I know I couldn't manage two other jobs or one other job. But there is a sort of, I don't like the word hack, but there are quicker ways to achieve a result. There is always leverage. I mean, if you think of the jav- javelin, it's, it's a lever to jump higher mm. compared to your high jump. Um, and no, there's not get rich quick, but there is get rich quicker. 
And so let's say you're really good at getting excited for the first six months, but you're terrible at finishing. Well, then start these businesses and then put managers in place. Mm. Um, and know what you're good at and know what you're not good at and hire people who are good at what you're not good at. And that is a hack because it means that you can achieve results beyond your own capacity and skill set. So instead of becoming a finisher, improve being a starter and find a good finisher. Because you know you're sort of taught, aren't you, to work on your weaknesses. Mm. School kind of teaches you. Like if you think about it, I got two A stars, six A's and two B's in GCSE. And and the first thing everyone said was, why were those two B's not A's? Mm. But actually what would have been better is if I didn't give a fuck about them completely, wrote them off because I knew I was going to be shit at them, get an E at them and get 100% of my two A stars. But that's kind of not how we're taught. Mm. But, you know, the great thing about being an entrepreneur, I I don't know about you, but I love being an entrepreneur. You get rewarded for your creativity. And essentially, being a successful entrepreneur is the opposite of what the system teaches you. Um, and, and, you know, my wife, like, I probably shouldn't say this, but fuck it. Um, I've got a big house and I am, um, I walked downstairs naked and my wife's like, you can't do that. And I said to her, yes, I fucking can. Cause it's my house. And she went, but you know, the kids. And I said, well, so what? Anyway, she says, you've never liked, ever liked being told what to do, have you? And I was like, no, I didn't become rich and an entrepreneur for any other reason other than I don't like being told what to do. Mm. And some people need to be told what to do. They're probably better in the military or some other, because, you know, that's a, I I would be terrible in the military, but of course that's really a necessary, useful and valuable job. So I think knowing yourself and then embracing that, I I think that is the key to success. Otherwise you end up feeling like, you're not the main character in your own story. Mm. So I've been to your house, so thank you for the visual of walking around naked. Um, <laughs> we were talking it's about- funny because I've got, <laughs> you, you know that glass wall I've got where I can see my yes. cars. I can also see my reflection in it, so I can see the, the, the size of my small willy as I, well. I, I, I think we need to move on from this bit. <laughs> so talk about people in school and education, we're indoctrinated to think in a certain way. Mm. So can anybody, in, choose a life of entrepreneurship and do well? Is it for everybody? It's not for everybody. So can anybody just say, right, I'm going to quit what I'm doing, I'm going to make 100 grand a year working for myself? They can try. Okay. Yeah, because it's legal. So anyone can, and I, was, I would suggest to anyone, if you've got a desire and it's been sat there for a while, what's the worst that's going to happen? Is everyone made to be like Elon Musk? No. Is everyone made to be like Tim Cook? No. Is everyone made to be like Satya Singh? No. Not everyone has the skills to be an entrepreneur, or at least they don't naturally have those skills, so they may have more friction in learning them. But for example, my MD, she makes a really good salary. She's really fucking good at her job. And she knows she's more of an intrapreneur. And, you know, these people say, oh, well, you know, if you're employed, you're broke. Tim Cook's worth 1.9 billion and he's an employee. Not fucking bad. Mm. So Tim Cook as clearly, and Terry Leahy, you know, he was stacking shelves at Tesco's. And then of course he, you know, he became 
the, the CEO or, or the head of it or whatever. So there's different ways to get to whatever goal you're looking for. Um, I, I think you, you want to learn skills that make you valuable. And then the ones where there seems to be the lowest amount of friction, you want to double down on those. Where a society will teach you, oh, yeah, but you're not very good at maths. So you better get your maths grade up. If, if you want to be an entrepreneur, fuck maths. Get someone else who's a genius at maths. Them pay them 50 a year and get them to write your algorithms. Get them to do your coding. And what you're good at, you know, honour that. And... You know, there has to be some trial and error in that. So I'm pretty good at sales and marketing. And I didn't think I was, and I didn't like it at first, but tried it and actually became quite good at it. Um, but yeah, I'm much more of a fan now. Uh, like John Demartini is one of my friends. Um, he says that he thinks it's wise um, to understand what your values are and build your life around your values and delegate everything else. But the problem is most people are delegating to themselves or they're doing stuff being delegated to them instead of being the delegator. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want to be the delegator. But I don't want to delegate what I'm really good at. I want to get better at what I'm really good at. So be outstanding at the things that you're already great yeah. at rather than spending your time and energy doing the things that you're mediocre at. Try yeah, and improve those. Yeah, because if you think about the, the, the law of... Uh, friction you know money loves speed and hates friction it's going to be so much friction for you to try and improve something you're shit at that you don't like there's going to be minimal friction in you getting better at something you love so, mm. but that's just not how it's taught now don't get me wrong if you want to be a business owner and an entrepreneur there's some skills you're going to need which maybe you're not maybe let's say you're not naturally a people person you're more of a coder um we've Harry and I know someone, I won't mention his name, but he'll, he'll get wind of this and he won't mind me saying, but he just fucking hates people. And like he says, he says um, I, 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 my ideal job is to um, run a zoo because I like animals more than people. Um, and he said if he had the job between doing customer service or going to prison, he'd go to prison, much rather than dealing with people's <laughs> shit all day. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Um, but that's good self-awareness. Mm. So... Get really fucking good at coding. Like, I don't want a coder who's a charmer. I want a coder who's fucking good at coding. And if they don't like people, I'll give them Red Bull and a really fucking good computer that they can get an erection over or whatever else they get nowadays um, and crack on. crack on. But, you know, people are trying to change everyone into being something that they're not. So in terms of a winning mindset, we'll use that as our last question. What do you think creates... A winning mindset. Okay, so um, one of my favourite subjects this. A winning mindset, I believe, is one that is adaptable and not fixed. I think a fixed mindset cannot handle change, but the only constant in life is change. I don't know where you feel your most strength, stress and anxiety. I can tell you where I feel it, and I think most humans are the same in things we cannot control. Mm -hmm. 100%. So one of the reasons I love being an entrepreneur is if shit goes wrong, I can fucking fix it. So I can feel, I can get some control back. Um, so if you are adaptable, malleable, you can evolve 
that is the, I mean, if you look at Darwin's origin of species, he essentially said that. He said it's, I think he either said it's not the strongest or the fittest, but it's the most adaptable to mm -hmm. change. So this is, I think this is why we're nearly in our, we're approaching our third decade in business because we've adapted and, and evolved. Now, there are some spin-off things from this. Number one is where the change occurs, you'll be okay. So often we think, oh my God, my life's going to be over if X happens. But actually, in reality, often it's better. Um, so, for example, with the Samuel Leeds fight, if there's one person you don't want to lose a boxing match to in our industry at Samuel Leeds, and I know you're a nice neutral balanced guy, Saj, but that smile says it all. If you could zone in on his smile, <laughs> like, you know. I do want to take you there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind because um, that was one of the reasons why I chose it. And um, the only thing I lost was the fight. Mm. Oh, and a stone and a half in weight. My moobs, as my son calls them, <laughs> my man moobs. So we won the crowd. We won the, there wasn't a competition on integrity, but if there were, we won that. And there's so many things we won. And I, I even thought about it, because if anyone watched the fight, a lot of people thought I won. There was a controversial slip stroke very light knock knockdown in round one, which of course he's going to say is a knockdown and I'm going to say it's not. Um, but he got everything he wanted in the negotiation and he won by the skin of his teeth. I gave everything away and I think put on a good show. But there was a couple of fights that were mismatched. And I said to the event organiser, you make sure that ref fucking goes easy. So the ref went easy on me, when in reality, it wasn't a knockdown. And so I thought, the fact that I, I cared so much about my guys and their well-being, it probably lost me my fight. Mm. So would I rather win at all costs or lose with integrity? That's what my wife said to me, it was a really good question. And, um, and so, someone asked me about the, the stress of business. Business isn't fucking stressful, business is fucking awesome. Um, but here's the thing I believe about life. I think that life and nature and the universe is far more intelligent than me. And, you know, some people who really believe in God, they're like, you know, God has great plans for me. And, you know, I was convinced I was going to win the fight. I was very confident. But I, I realise now it, was, it wasn't meant... And when, you know when people say it wasn't meant to be, they can say it with some sadness and remorse. No, no, no. It's, don't be sad and remorse that it wasn't meant to be. Be grateful that nature is infinitely more wise than you. I mean, when I used to pick girlfriends, I was fucking terrible at picking my own girlfriends, stitching myself up left, right and centre. And I went, in the end, I'm you know, now married to her, I've been with her 17 years, I'm now with someone who I wouldn't have intuitively picked. So actually, I think sometimes as humans, I think we're quite an arrogant species and I think we, we're, we're not as smart as we think we are. Nature's far smarter or the universe or intelligence so I do my best, I have a goal for something to go a certain way, and then when it doesn't, I accept that as the way it should have been. And that's helped me. It also, like, 
stress is the projection of a painful or perceived negative outcome in the future. But there's two types of stress. There's eustress and distress. Mm -hmm. Distress is, I'm going to be fucked, everything's over. And eustress is like, you know when you have pressure before a deadline or you do an all-nighter at uni and you find, you know, you get your work in, in time. Or the day before you go on holiday where you get fucking loads done. Can relate to all those things. Exactly. So for me, it's trying to, you know, that pressure can be really good. Donald Trump says the difference between the well-educated Harvard, Ivy League people he knows who aren't really rich and the billionaires is their ability to handle pressure and stress. Mm. So there's some things I think are probably useful for people in a winning mindset. But the word winning, define winning. I mean, I would say you want a growth mindset mm. is a better way of wording it. Thanks for that. Pleasure. Rob, what's the best way for people to connect with you if they're not already connected with you? Um, I'm on any social media on Rob Moore or Rob Moore Progressive. Um, I've written a lot of books, Money and Life Leverage. And if you want the property one, Property Investing Secrets. Um, I've got a podcast called Disruptors, which is conveniently placed behind us here. <laughs> Great product placement. Rob, thank you so much. Thanks, Edge. Pleasure.